This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are you, Max? Good. Thank you. And who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, we have uh, Pat Warner, who, if he's, well, he's an AMUG dino, but I think he should be an AMUG, like, triple dino fern. Uh, he's been uh, working, <laughs> working in 3D printing for an absurdly long time now and doing some incredibly cutting-edge stuff for a really, really long time. Pat started off as a CNC machinist, uh, then worked for uh, the Benetton Formula One team for 13 years in CAD, CAM, and CNC. Uh, then he became uh, the ADM manager, digital manufacturing manager for, for Renault uh, F1 in 2002. And now, uh, since 2010, digital manufacturing manager of Alpine F1. And uh, yeah, so, so it's a real honor to have someone of uh, his stature and, and immense ability here today. And it's, it's really great. Welcome to the 3D Pod, Pat. Thanks for having me. So, so first off, I think, uh, like, how did you end up in Formula One? You were a CNC machinist. You decided to do that because you like technology, or I did an engineering apprenticeship with a with a cryogenics company. So, the company I worked for at the time uh, were doing superconducting magnets, mainly for sort of research purposes. But we also built the first commercial uh, magnetic body scanner. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I was part of that team, and then. I'd been doing that for a few years, and um, loc- the Formula One team that I ended up working for, Benetton, was was based in my hometown, so very close. Um, some of my friends already worked there, and they were looking for their first CNC machinist, and uh, that sounded quite exciting to me. So, so I applied for that and, and beat about eighty other applicants to get that job. Um, so I ended up for my sins thirty three years ago joining mm-hmm. the Formula One circus and uh, uh-huh. never really looked back and 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 so so you know, 33 years in formula one is an immense amount of time in formula one yeah uh, i think it's a bit of a, it's, it's even a stupid question like what has changed <laughs> oh, everything, everything. I mean, you, you name it um yeah. the only thing that the only thing that hasn't really changed is we're really good at spending absurd amount of money um on on a what is a very small volume of manufacturing anything um so mm-hmm. when i started the team was somewhere in the region of 80 people mm-hmm. and we had four industrial estate warehouse units that that we ran the manufacturer of the cars from and ran the entire team from um mm-hmm. now we're on a in a in a bespoke factory that's that's by no means the largest in formula one we're sort of a mid-range sort of team size-wise, and we have upwards of 800 people. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But we only produce, wow, is, we yeah. only take the same number of cars to a similar number of races in the same mm-hmm. sort of locations as we did 30-odd mm-hmm. years ago. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but the cars are now more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the regularity in which we change them is, 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 is much more frequent. So we, we make parts now that we know we're only going to race once and we throw them away are you like almost rebuilding an entire car for every race um within within extent yeah so the regulations have changed a bit over the last few years because they're trying to uh 
reduce the cost of Formula One to make it um, make it more competitive. So the the really large budget teams are having to come down to our playing field money wise, and to do that, they're they're saying you know um, engines last need to last a certain number of races, gearboxes need to last a certain number of races, our electronics. ECU is the same now throughout all the teams, and and certain other parts will go that way where we we end up having to standardise um, components to reduce costs. But yeah, basically we take a car to a track and we will build the car specifically for that circuit. We we have a good idea of of um, levels of downforce and cooling required. We have a relatively good idea of what the the ambient temperature is going to be. And we build the car based around that. Because, like, if we talk about something like ambient, let's say you know uh, you're having a race, and let's say Valencia, or whatever, it's supposed to be 25 degrees C, right? And you hear it's going to be 35 degrees. Is that going to have, have a huge effect on 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 your car? Oh yeah, we we tune the level of cooling to match what mm. the ambient is going to be, and we have we have the ability to adjust that. So we. We like our car to run at a set temperature, not as cool as possible. Um, so engine and oil temperatures and water temperatures are, are, are there's a there's a, a perfect a specific zone the engine mm-hmm. the engine group will open to run in, and mm-hmm. so we tune the cooling of the car to do that, and we do that by the amount of air we allow to pass over the radiators or through the car. Yeah. If it's if it's a warm track, we'll open up the radiator inlets and we'll open up the bodywork around the back of the car, what we call the, the, the Coke panels, the Coke bottle of shape of the, the rear of the bodywork in a Formula 1 car, we'll make that mm-hmm. bigger to allow more air to pass through. Mm-hmm. If it's a cooler race, we can reduce that, which reduces the, the amount of air going through, but it's also more aerodynamically efficient. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, every, mm-hmm. every car is bespoke to, I will say every track. Are you ever most. making parts at the track? Like, are, do you ever tote a 3D printer along with you to print out something? Maybe? No, there, there's there's <laughs> there's some the that do, and it's kind of frowned upon. We're not supposed to produce things at the circuit. We're not supposed to be <laughs> at the circuit again because it would just turn into a stupid arms race, right? Um, and and we're quite capable of spending hundreds of thousands of pounds to to do something most people would consider insane. No, we've been specifically told that though it's not actually in our regulation, they don't want us manufacturing at the circuit. However, you, know, <laughs> you, could, you could take, a, for instance, if you took a, a small filament printer to do a, a, a little stick-on repair or, or make a trim jig so you could modify something that exists already on the car, that, that would be okay. Not Max. <laughs> there, well, okay, there you go. Yeah, I, 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 I have a pen that can do that. That's um, <laughs> a really good you, opportunity you can, for your 3D pen. You yeah, exactly. Some of the wide eyes that came along when that first came out. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back, like over. The, like, let's talk a little bit more about the, the, the Formula One environment first. About this this thing here, because, like, okay, so first off, you want the car to go faster, right? So theoretically, you'd want components that are lightweight, right? But yep. there are, of course, constraints like driver safety and, and maybe the car can be too light in certain parts and stuff like that, right? We actually have a minimum weight we're allowed to race at by regulation. Um, that doesn't stop us massively lightweighting the car. So ideally, we like the car to be underweight, and then we ballast it to the regulation weight. 
because then we can move that weight around and we can put it where we want it. So ultimately, we want it as near to the floor as we can get it because yeah. lower center of gravity, the car will perform better. But yeah. we also like to be able to move it fore and aft to balance the car. We, yeah. we can achieve balance both by weight and by aerodynamic effect, but mm -hmm. in certain speed conditions, the aerodynamic effect comes off the car, so you need the, the weight distribution to be correct. Yeah. For example, right, <laughs> I would think it would be a good idea to print something really heavy, like a tungsten component, to put it on certain parts of the car to balance out the car, for example. Not that you would do that. <laughs> Not that anyone does this. <laughs> but that would be an example. <laughs> you might what? be surprised, actually. Yeah. We, we do we do make some rather large lumps of tungsten, not necessarily by printing, but we have considered it. Um mm. and and we strap them onto the car. Um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what we have to be absolutely certain of is said tungsten components are structural enough that they can't fall off the car because mm -hmm. if they did, then they're likely to go bouncing off down the track. Um, uh, and get not. collected by the car or the driver behind, which would be frowned upon somewhat. Oh, totally, totally. But and then also like so, and also I think one of the things that I think the complexity of such a vehicle is that you're you're not only working with metals, you're working with polymers, you're working with uh, uh, carbon fiber type materials. The the the, the types of the, the breadth of materials is now quite astounding, right? We're probably closer to an aircraft than a car, in all honesty. Yeah. 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 So, so the the highest volume of material in the car is undoubtedly carbon fiber. There are uh, is a significant amount of machined metal. There's a reasonable amount of printed metal. There's a reasonable amount of printed polymers. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's kind of a, a bit of everything. But by far the the largest volume of material is is um, composite. No, which which uh, currently I mean, we'd love for you guys to three D print a lot of that, but currently that's just hand lay up a lot of that, right? Um, yeah, because currently the only really way you can three D print it is um is with a thermoplastic, and thermoplastic mm -hmm. composites are banned in Formula One. Oh, okay. no, let's put it that way. Continuous, yeah, okay. continuous yeah. strand thermoplastic composites yeah. are currently in breach of regulation of Formula One. If we yeah. keep really strand that's why. Below, 13 millimeters, we can use it, yeah. half an inch. Um, yeah, but that's why half an inch, then, then we're, we're, it's ruled out. And again, it's, yeah. it's another one to stop us going off on another arms race. You know, yeah. um, high okay. temperature, high strength, damage tolerant composites would be a, could be a massive benefit to us. But we mm -hmm. would spend an awful lot of money researching it. And it, uh, this is really funny because this is why we have short a lot of short fiber strand composite in available in uh, added manufacturing 3D printing because of this this uh, this uh, uh, Formula One uh, rule change. It's meant that all of a sudden there was a market for making these short strand uh, materials, and everybody, of course, wanted to be on the Formula One car. So all of a sudden we had tons of these carbon fiber uh, short strand carbon fiber <laughs> materials, and, and they, they only exist because of a rule change. Uh, in Formula One, so I thought that was quite hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and now, now we're using them like for a lot of stuff. No. We yeah, and, and we do we do use them, but uh, we we limit we we're a little bit um we're a little bit shy of of mm -hmm. filament printed parts on the car. We've had some we've had our mm -hmm. fingers burnt a few times, so we 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 tend to fair enough. We we just like we're cautious with, of where we put them. But like, you can use metal printers, right? Yeah, we use, use metal we can, printers. Yeah, yeah, we use yeah. metal printers, and, and we don't have any ourselves. Um, some of the mm -hmm. teams do, 
we've mm-hmm. we've chosen to to hold for now, um, mm-hmm. because of the rate that the industry is maturing predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we use a lot of metal printed components. We outsource those, and we use a lot of SLS components. We mm-hmm. use carbon filled SLS components, rubbers. We've got parts off of DLP printers on cars. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's, it's we'll, we'll mm-hmm. anything that fits the bill does the job. Mm-hmm. And why are you shying away from material extrusion FDM? Did you have delamination issues, or? Yeah, we had a, an interesting video of um, of, a, of an aerodynamic component that was down by the front wheel, basically delaminated and came undone like a slinky spring. Oh God! Yeah. Waved itself oh, wow. around up by the driver's head and then flew off the car. So, okay. <laughs> Things have changed since then. This was some time ago, and things have definitely okay. So I'm not, I'm not belittling. I'm just saying it. It it makes us nervous, and we we have to consider Mm -hmm. where it goes. We do use all these things, but but Mm -hmm. we we're we're cautious, and if we think there's a better way to do it, that we can do it in the same amount of time, then then that's what we do. I mean, you guys are doing the extremes here. Like you're, if you are printing a part, you're you are putting it to. It's somewhat limits on the technology, I would say. Not not the metal side, but on the polymer side. One of the 3D applications engineers put it very well. He, he told me we were we were pushing the technology harder than ever really wanted to be pushed. And, and yeah, he was yeah. probably right. Um, you know, go, go, going back to the, the extreme environment, you know, our brakes operate at 400C. Mm-hmm. So anything near the brakes is in trouble. Our exhausts glow red, although they're pretty well insulated, and the g-forces involved are immense. So, on braking, our car will hit six g. At, at that, wow! At okay. That point, the, driver's, <laughs> the driver's tears are migrating to the inside of his visor. At that point, we're seeing four mm-hmm. and a half g sustained on cornering, and if you so watch the race yeah. and see a driver right. clip a curb and bounce over a curb, we're measuring yeah. sort of twenty-five to thirty g. In Z, so so we're putting some immense forces through everything on the car, and 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 if it Mm -hmm. falls off, it's very public. Mm -hmm. Not to mention we might we might not finish the race. So it's (laughs) we we have to make sure we do it correctly. And you could put another racer's uh, life in jeopardy with a piece that's fallen off. It's it's happened, unfortunately. So yeah, it's, it's, it's it's something that we we've put a lot of effort. All the teams. Formula One in general, um, and the governing body has put an awful lot of effort into into making the sport safer. Um, yeah. You know, there is a, a, a perception that the public like to watch the accidents, but we don't like to watch them, and we don't like to put people at risk. No, of course not, of course not. And that's a bit of a so you have like a safety envelope, right? Then you have whatever your FEA or your simulation software tells you, and then you have like kind of a speed thing. So balancing speed and safety is, is I think also uh, an interesting concern on, on your part, right? It's, it's, yeah, everything's on the edge of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. But, but at the same time, I mean, I think, and then also for formula one, you also have these specific rules, like the one you said about the, the, the single strand carbon fiber, but also there's all sorts of rules about what materials you can use, what, what you can't, all that kind of thing. Right. We have a, a materials allowable list because it would be, mm-hmm. it's significantly shorter than, a disallowable list, um, right? And if you're if you're having trouble sleeping one night, then you can go to FIA.com and you can download our technical regulations, um, which are about the size of your average phone book. 
And, and not that all of our listeners will know what a phone book is. I'm forgetting my show, my age there, I guess. <laughs> okay, explain phone book then, Max. <laughs> Uh, so it's a ridiculously thick document. Yeah, there's a lot of it, and then it's all very technical and intense. Um, but yes, we have what we have what we call the allowable materials list, and and yeah. they define things such as stiffness and and strength of of, of alloys, um, what the, the the nature of the alloy could be. So certain aluminium alloys are, are banned. Um, yeah. and others are allowed so uh, yeah it's it's understanding what each of those materials is necessarily is, is quite tricky and so I tend to leave that to people that are far cleverer than me Yeah. so, so does that it, mean you have like internal experts like do you have like a, a materials allowable material scientist who's only like doing that kind of thing or we have a, a full material science department um, okay, okay. with uh, various engineers and technicians that not only decide or, or suggest what the best material would be they also perform qualifications and testing on those materials as we as we manufacture parts and as we have parts supplied uh, even even down to the additive polymers we we, we don't trust anybody's data sheets we confirm them all ourselves <laughs> fair <laughs> enough have you, have you had surprises because i've had surprises oh, I'm, I'm, had not, I'm not as thorough as you guys <laughs> We've had some massive surprises, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that sort of goes back to the, the FDM bit falling off the car and waving around by the driver's head. You know, since then, we qualify everything, and, and we won't put it on a car unless we're absolutely confident it will do what it's supposed to do. And that's, that's quite interesting because you don't really think of that because, like, normally qualifying parts for aerospace or something like that or manufacturing, you can take a lot of time. But you guys might have, like, a week, right? So yeah. I can understand, fully understand that you can say, okay, this is like, I don't know, let's say a brake caliper, right? I don't know if you print those, whatever, it doesn't matter. But uh, if a brake caliper, you can say, oh, we redesign it to make it uh, whatever, give off heat better or something like that, right? But how do you then test and qualify that part to make sure it's going to work on the day and doesn't break and all that kind of stuff? A certain amount of it is experience. We don't have the time. We can, we can check what the material does. Um, we can check how the material performs. We can put it through a set of computer analysis. Um, but a certain amount of it is is we've we've done this before. We've been doing it for a long time, and and guys tend to understand that what they need to do to make a part work. Um, mm -hmm. Having said that, we do push the envelope. We do take things to extreme sometimes, and we will do destruction testing mm -hmm. if we think it's um, borderline or or mm -hmm. risky or it's mm -hmm. potentially life threatening. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But but yeah, a lot of it is it's 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 all done very very quickly. We have a relationship with a with a major aerospace company, no secret, Boeing. We've had a relationship with them for years, and part of the good thing for them was when we were developing materials and applications, we get to test it and put it through heat cycles and lots of g forces before they've even really got it into a materials lab. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's it's kind of a a nice comfort feeling for them that that we're we're taking things to some sort of extreme levels and it's performing as it should do long before they consider whether they will put it on an aircraft or not um, because yeah. obviously the risk involved there is far higher than it is with mm -hmm. us. Uh, I think pushing the, you mentioned this all this pushing the envelope, seeking the edge of this these materials and these performance things and stuff. 
but that also means that you 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 continue you continually need new tooling, right? If there's a new CNC machine, maybe the other guy has a new CNC machine. Maybe you have the the better printer. There's also an arms race on 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 the tooling you or the tool the tools you have, right? To us, it's yeah. Everything is is about speed, whether it's on the track or or development or time to manufacture or how quickly we can get a part to a car. You know, I mean, I've I've received the design on a on a Friday afternoon, printed it overnight, extracted it from the machine at six o'clock on a Saturday, driven it to Silverstone and put it on the car in time for qualifying. You can't do that in any other industry. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just, you know, you, would, you wouldn't consider prototyping mm-hmm. at that speed, let alone fitting it to a car and expecting it to, to be a performance game. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. and, and it was, by the way. Um, so, so you know, it, it's, it's a completely different world and a different level of mm-hmm. insanity to anything else. No, I, can, I can imagine, man. But also, can, this is really interesting to me. Like, so... You have this automobile, and you're changing like 300 things, right? How do you know what leads to a performance gain, and what has like a feedback loop, or what doesn't, or you know, how can you tell even? Our simulation tools are very strong and powerful, as is our wind tunnel. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got a, a really high-level CFD group um, mm-hmm. with a massive supercomputer backing it up. I, f- I forget the, the the latest spec of that. The the last time I took major notice of what our CFD cluster could do, it was something like it could process 16 DVDs worth of information per second. Um, so it's, that in itself is, is pretty immense. Um, right. We've got a, a wind tunnel with a 60% model in it, which is my biggest customer, and I make 450 parts a week to go into that. Wow. Um, that should verify everything that we that we intend to do at the track or what that tells us the direction that verifies CFD and tells us the direction we're going to to the track is correct. Um, we've also got a a driver simulator. So it's a bit like the fairground rides where you start, strap yourself into a into a vehicle on a gimbal and it and it bounces you through all the going into space or taking off or Flying an F sixteen or whatever it's whatever is set up to do, well, we have one of those for Formula One, um, and it's a bit more uh, elaborate than that, but it's um, very very powerful to the effect to the extent that the drivers say they can feel the difference in aero downforce levels through the, when when you change a part in the simulation. When we change a part on simulation, yeah, right. Whoa, okay, that's cool. That's very cool. <laughs> I get it. So they can feel it's like a little more sluggish on the turn or something. Versus yeah, or, or, being, or the yeah. back end's a little looser, or the front end's right. got less grip. Or they they say they can feel all these things from a computer simulation, which blows my mind completely. It's mm-hmm. it's. Do you believe them? <laughs> Are you sure they're not just saying? <laughs> well, they seem to be able to correlate that with what happens at the circuit. So they they turn up sure. and the car, you know, they they manage to dial in the car to perform as they expect it to. So I'm I'm, I'm guessing they do. How does this work? Like overall, okay, you capture a lot of data trackside, right? There's a lot of monitoring, a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of observation going on as well. Like, oh my god, that guy's got a really big wing or something, that kind of stuff. And then you also have the driver, and then that driver has an engineer, right? They have like their own like trackside engineer for them, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so, how does that get fed back into kind of some kind of like team orders for everyone to do and every kind of thing to to you know to happen? So the car collects 
I think it's I think it's a DVD's worth of data per event, which some poor guy has to sift through and decide what's good and what's bad. Um, mm-hmm. We also have, as as part of our of our um, our cost initiative, they reduced the number of people we're allowed to take to the track. So mm-hmm. we had to reduce the number of engineers going. So we now have... Did you have like 100 engineers going previously? And we, now you're we, down to we, had, we had quite a few, but yeah. not, not necessarily 100, but uh, we're limited to 30 people, and that includes marketing and everybody else. Um, oh, okay. So, so mm-hmm. now we all have these massive mission controls where the engineers sit at the factory but have all the data from the car and the circuit and the television feeds and everything else beamed back into them live. So you're live streaming data from the car back to the factory. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, like so you you covered this car in sensors then I would assume. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we know we know every input the driver makes. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand downforce levels. We know every movement the suspension makes. We know his input onto the throttle and the brake pedal. You know. Um, we know how fast the cars accelerate, and we know engine temperatures, tire temperatures. You name it; it's 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 monitored, and we know it. We log it. Mm-hmm. And is that like kind of like a really tense atmosphere, or is it like kind of more exciting atmosphere, or is, um, is it like a, like it sounds a bit like you know Apollo mission control kind of thing? Or? Yeah, exactly. Or a it, SpaceX launch—the nearest thing I could I could put it to. Yeah, and 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 and. I guess that sort of the atmosphere varies as to to how well you're doing on the weekend, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and what's happening at the time. You know, I say it's live feed, so if mm-hmm. if the, if something isn't performing as it should do, then everything's going to be very tense. If if the car's out front and, and winning by a large amount, and everyone's happy, then then mm-hmm. although you're 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 still monitoring but everything, like, and you, you want to make sure it's right, but. But but you know what part everyone kind of makes, right? Or what everybody's responsible for, right? So if I'm like the Mr. DRS or something, and that isn't working, I could just imagine like a hundred eyes boring down on me, like, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. On the flip side, if there's an accident, yeah. you sit there counting up the hours of how much you're going to have to do to put that car back together, you know? Yeah, yeah, also, uh, uh, uh. right. Yeah. Think, as well. Okay, so you capture all that data then, and how does that then come into like? Uh, yeah, individual assignments to to make better components. So we have we we have what we call we, there's a, there's a number of routes to that. So so we have what we call the fault list. Um, mm-hmm. So anything that's perceived wrong with a car is mm-hmm. is written down and categorized by importance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first thing, obviously, is to make sure that the car is reliable and there are no faults. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also have improvement projects and again they'll be categorized on what we feel the benefit is overall to the performance of the car so so if it's a a a perceived huge gain um Mm -hmm. then then we'll throw in a lot of engineers a lot of money Mm -hmm. and a lot of time and Mm -hmm. and we'll ensure we get that done as best as we can in the time that we think or for the circuit that we think that improvement will show the best benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a, a smaller category improvement, we may throw less effort at it. We may not bother at all if we think mm-hmm. it's actually not worth the financial to, to go down that route. 
So yeah, everything's everything's kind of categorized by chief engineer or, or technical mm-hmm. director as to, as to what we believe would be the best game. Um, mm-hmm. And going back to your your thing of eyes at the circuit looking around, yes, mm-hmm. dust and is rife in Formula One, um, mm-hmm. but because we don't have a customer, mm-hmm. then we can't infringe patents or anything else or IP. Okay, so. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's that's an interesting uh, situation there. It's, it's, like you're not, it's not a commercial product. It's not a commercial product, se. exactly. Right, you're, it's for one time. So, yeah, so, so often can... people say to us, you know, why why don't you patent things? Well, we don't need to. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to, and there's no benefit. It's actually an adverse effect to us because if we patent something, it advertises what we're doing. Yeah. Right. right. Not only does it advertise what you're doing, yeah, and then everyone knows. Although I, I do question, like, if there's additional revenue to be potentially made from and there, something and there that is, and, and we're discover. entering, we're entering the brave new world of cost cap now, where, as I said, mm-hmm. the, the large teams with massive budgets are having to come down to our playing field, and over mm-hmm. the next three years, that will, that will be cut even more in a staged amount. So it will get to the point where. We're having to reduce our costs as well, mm-hmm. um, and having a, a revenue stream is probably now more attractive than it than it was previously. But also, I think I think now with this cap thing, it's also you could, for example, make like a fake or like a like just do a patent just to keep the other guys busy to keep them from making. Right, their you car fake better. them out by doing a fake patent. <laughs> <laughs> put an extra wheel in there just to keep them busy. Oh, yeah. Six it's a five-wheeled car. Here. Don't give them ideas. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funnily enough that there are actually regulations that stop us doing things like walking out into the pit lane to fake that we're going to do a stop and then walking back in again, you know, and, and things like that oh, because wow. that became a you, – you watch what the other team you're racing with is going to do and uh, you, you cover their strategy as well as what you think is the best for yeah. you. So yeah. we had a, a whole raft of, of the pit crew walking out into the pit lane doing mm-hmm. a fake. The opponent's mm-hmm. car would come in and they'd all go back into the garage smiling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that got stopped. And uh, you still get it from time to time, but you have to be sure that that's what they're doing and it's not just the drivers missed the instruction to come into the pits. <laughs> uh, and. Um, and and is it like so? So oh, you mentioned the wind tunnel. I mean, I think I think as far as I know, that's where like uh, Formula One, yeah, and three D printing got started. Right? Yeah. They needed wind tunnel testing. They needed that quickly, and they needed a scale model of the car first, very small one. Well, it, it didn't actually. Cause, ah, so okay, so we good. bought our first CN, uh, our first SLA machine in nineteen ninety eight. Okay, and that's a while ago. <laughs> that's a while ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it was it was bought on the premise that it looked cool and we should have one. Mm-hmm. I mean, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why not? I, I couldn't agree more. And, and it was, at the time I was, um, I was in the CAM department programming five-axis machines for composites and composite tooling. Um, they didn't know quite what to do with this machine, so they, they found a little room next to the machine shop and they bunged it in there because it was a, a machine, right? So it should be by the machine shop. And they gave the programming of it to Cam because we were the programmers. The instruction was, we don't really know what to do with it. Go and find some applications. This feels like the classic uh, 3D printing problem. So we started looking at everyone else does of of function fit because that's easy, right? And and everyone wants to see a a part on their desk and understand what they're doing. 
And to an extent, that that particular application did as proud. I, I remember building a a full working model of a steering rack assembly overnight and building it up the next day and handing it to the designer who went, oh, no, I've made a mistake, and, and <laughs> ran downstairs and stopped the machinist before he made the cut that was going to scrap all our steering rack billets. Oh, um, nice. So that worked really well. Right. That paid for itself there. <laughs> that, that, that paid for itself immediately because <laughs> the chances of getting those billets back in again and making them in time to get the first car out to the first test was, was going to be zero because everything in Formula One is cut right down, right down to the manufacturing of a new car. We, we don't take years doing it like everyone else. So, so that saved itself right there. But then we started looking at other ways to use it, and tooling became quite good. Being able to do drill jigs and trim jigs to aid the manufacture of composite parts or to modify them at the track where the car was already going to the track. We wanted to make a change send out a, cut a few SLA jigs and allow them to, to change the, the, the profile on the end of the bodywork or add some more fixing holes or whatever they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That worked really well. But then we started looking at the wind tunnel, and the wind tunnel is 40%, 50%. was a 50% model. So still able to produce some pretty high levels of downforce, still doing 50 meters a second. Um, so everything needed to be quite structural and quite stiff. And the SLA materials at the time just weren't there. If you were lucky and you put a part on your desk, it, it, someone hadn't picked it up and shattered it into a thousand pieces within two days. Um, but if it had gone that far, it probably absorbed so much moisture it started to, to change shape on its own. And then it wasn't until we really started pushing the material manufacturers and the machine manufacturers, we got into these these composite materials we all rely on now. And we rely heavily on those, I mean, massively. Um, because they're, they're high levels of modulus and, and high tensile strength, they, they suit our application purpose perfectly. But Can, can you disclose what, what material you use the most? Or is that, is that um, a trade secret? We, we use, we use um, a 3D Systems PIV material, and it's, it's a purple composite SLA material. So it's got a, a, a large amount of ceramic filler. Um, that, was, that was actually designed specifically for us. Um, and, and it has, and the color is, is to be, um, it doesn't illuminated by our, our PIV laser. So uh, I should probably explain. Our wind tunnel isn't just a straight wind tunnel. We, we, have, a, we have a car on a rolling road, suspended from the ceiling, um, that can do ride height, pitch, steer, and yaw. And we actually rotate the rolling road as we rotate the car. Um, we also have what we call um, PIV, which is a particle. Uh, uh, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> so if, if you've seen the, the plots of, um, uh, from a CFD graph, of, of the swirling vortices of air around, the, around whatever you're, you're testing in airflow, whether it be a car or a plane, we can do that live in the wind tunnel. So we seed the airflow and we track the particles in the airflow with a laser and some high-resolution, high high-speed cameras. Mm-hmm. Particle image velocity. That, oh, sorry. So, so yeah. the lasers are, are 
massively powerful. I think they've got a killing range of five kilometers or something stupid like that. Um, <laughs> to the extent we have to have steel shutters on the on the windows for the tunnel, and it, it's it's a massive massive piece of kit, hugely expensive. Mm-hmm. But what happens is the laser beam reflects off the model, and then you can't read your data. Mm, so right. 3D systems specifically formulated a material to help us eliminate that or reduce the effect of that. Um, prior mm-hmm. to that, we, we were using um, 3D systems HPC material. Um, again, it's mm-hmm. a high-performance composite. Um, mm-hmm. There are other versions. Um, uh, the, the, some of the teams use a DSM material, which is very, very similar in its, in its, in its, um, in its form. In its strength, in its stiffness, and in its its um, properties. So we all used pretty much the same stuff, and we all got into it pretty much at the same time. I guess we were probably one of the first with a composite material because we had a we had an awful awful paste machine, um, mm-hmm. which was a a French invention, which three D Systems bought in late nineties. And it basically built in a ceramic paste, freestanding in a column, still using an ultraviolet laser. It was a DSM material, um, but gave us very, very stiff, very high modulus, very high strength components. But if you can imagine them, if you've ever done body work on a car and used a product called P38, eyes upon mm-hmm. body filler, this is what this material was like before it was cured. And your part was was embedded in the middle of that, a bit like uh, an SLS part in a cake of powder. Mm-hmm. So removing your part from this this cake of gloop was horrendous. Um, at DSM were the manufacturer of the material, and they said, what do you think? And I said, yeah, it's great, but if you can put it into an SLA machine, it'll be fantastic because pulling it out of all this gloop is horrendous. And, uh, and off they went and invented the first ceramic field SLA material, which we promptly mm-hmm. adopted. Um, and it was kind of no looking back from there. Suddenly all the teams were getting it. All the teams were investing heavily in SLA. All the teams were putting ceramic field resins in. And, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of the market took off. So from mm-hmm. what was perceived as a, a no-market material, suddenly there's a, I think, I think Bluestone was the largest selling material for 3D systems for a number of years mm-hmm. based purely on the Formula 1 teams. No, I think a lot of people like see formulas being expensive, but for 3D printing, it's been as, as if we have an R and D department, like a separate R and D department, based all over the world, that's doing like our work for us and making us much go much further. But composites and 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 and, and SLA materials, more functional SLA materials, also more functional uh, powder bed fusion materials as well. Yeah, and optimizations on the metal machines as well. Um, um, undoubtedly, um, you know the. We, we run a, a carbon-filled powder bed fusion material. We develop with Boeing for, purely for on-vehicle applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wouldn't go to the effort of developing something like that if there wasn't a, a, a gain for us. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we would much rather someone did it for us, and it was, all the tools were there, but we, find we, have to, we have to drive those tools. But then, you know, the expenditure of our of our sport is quite high and, and we're quite a big market on our own. I think uh, in the early 2000s, I, I looked 
for for the sake of looking, I looked at 3D Systems material sales for the year mm -hmm. worldwide. And we were 2% of that. <laughs> that's okay. Just, that's, that's, not, that's not Formula One. That's just us. Right, no, that's just you guys. Just on the revenue. We were 2% of their worldwide revenue <laughs> based on feeding our winter. And, oh and most, uh, most of the teams have, you know, one of these printers, I would assume. Most of the teams right. have multiple. So I, uh, have, right. I have six large frame SLA machines and three SLS machines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and do you, and you, you do that just for volume or do you have that for different materials? Four of the large frame SLA machines are all running the same material. So it's just throughput. Wow. Okay. Wow. And then, and then, so, and mainly, okay. So then SLA was, was really important. And then, you know, there started to appear some car parts on the car, right? At one point, because at one point we were like other people who didn't know were all of a sudden seeing like fire retardant composites. And it was like, what, what, who wants this? Right. Right. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's an aerospace thing. That's nothing for us. We no? pay our drivers vast amounts of money to be able to right. get out of the car in 10 seconds. And that's regulation. Got oh, it. Well, okay. <laughs> so FR is not important, no? Uh, no, fire, fire, no, it's not important to us at all because it, 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 oh. if the car's on fire, it's, 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 it's done. It's, you know, okay, it's okay. too late. It's right. too late. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And, and well, it's just get them out. Whereas an airplane is a different matter. You've got yeah, you know, yeah, hundreds yeah. of people up there, yeah. and if, if something's on fire, you can't just pull them away. So, <laughs> okay, okay. You can't just pull over. <laughs> that's an airplane. It's not so much for us. Ah, okay, that's interesting. I thought wrong about that, but but then okay. So at one point, well, a couple of things started to happen. One is like parts started to migrate on the car. I don't know what you could say about that, but like, when did people start getting the idea? Like, hey, wait, we can make parts for the car. We were putting parts on the car early two thousands, I guess. Mm -hmm. And in two thousand and three, we bought two SLS machines specifically for that purpose. What What are you looking or hoping in the future is going to happen to to make your life easier? With all of this, in the three D, in the in the additive manufacturing space, or, or is your life not getting easier? <laughs> like, it'll never get easier. It'll just change through levels of stupidity. Um, right. and that's not that's not fair. <laughs> no, it, 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 it probably will never get easier. We 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 would like. I mean, as I said, the, the Formula One cars are a horrendously harsh environment, um, both temperature and forces. Temperatures are a, a tricky one for us. We we will put parts on the car, and then we have to be very cautious about how long that car stays static, because we mm -hmm. get heat soak. So right. we, we've put okay. things on the car and think, yeah, this you know we've we've got temperature sensors and temperature stickers all over the car, and and everything in that region is is well inside the the envelope that we would we would put an SLS part at, and then. Something happens on the grid, and the car sat there a little longer than it normally would be, and then you realise that part isn't the same shape as it should be because it's taken a bit more heat soak because the brakes were at four hundred degrees and they were only a few inches away. You know, so oh, wow. things things start to move very quickly when you start firing mm -hmm. large temperatures at them. So we would like a little bit more temperature, and yes, there are machines available that can do that now, but they're arguably too expensive even for us. So. And we don't wow. have okay. the volume for it, you know. So are the materials up to everyday use? They're probably too expensive. So they're down to key areas. 
So therefore, you know, do you want a large frame SLS machine capable of 300 degrees if you're only going to put a few small widgets on? Would you increase your applications if you had it? Probably. Mm-hmm. Would you adopt to the same level as you're using polyamides for? Probably not. Um, because mm-hmm. we've got an awful lot of components that are in in ambient areas of the car and, and not affected by high temperatures. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a balance and juggling act. We we tend to then we'll outsource those parts. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. that's another tricky because there are only a certain amount of suppliers that can invest a million dollars in a high temperature SLS machine and carry the range of materials you may or may what require, you know. So we're 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 kind of we're kind of stuck with that. So we at the moment we ain't source high temperature stuff to Jable in the US, who do mm-hmm. a fantastic job for us in turning things around quickly and, and getting them back over. And they've actually they can be as crazy as we are and they got they got let down by their courier and they they took a part out machine and got on a plane and brought it over to us because they knew it was time critical. Couldn't ask for a better service. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. They can't rely on it, you know, as mm. in you couldn't expect them to do that all the time. So, right. But that's kind of the world we live in. As I said, you know, we, we, we expect parts to be on a car within a week of designing them, whatever the manufacturing mm. method, or two weeks, certainly. You know, our average composite component lead time is six days. Um, wow. it's everything is a different world to what you consider yeah. automotive or even aerospace. You know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll start designing a a new car in sort of August, and it's on the floor at Christmas, and we're testing it in January. Mm-hmm. Um, this year's a little bit different because there's a massive set of regulation changes next year, so we've all started a bit earlier. But that's kind of our usual route. So it's it's three months to manufacture an entire car, not. Mm-hmm three years, 10 years that would be conventional. Let's say I'm like a 3D printing person or something. Like, you know, first of all, how would I get to work in Formula One? How do I get that job? Because there's a lot of people that dream about working in Formula One. So how, how, do, I, how do I get that job? That's, like, what, uh, do I have to do? that's a very good question and one that's very difficult to answer. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no simple uh, answer on that. Huh? I, was, I was really lucky. I mean, I happened to live in, the, live in a town where there was then a Formula One team that was quite small. Um, mm-hmm. I said I beat. I believe it was eighty people for the. There were two of us that that took the CNC roles. I think there were eighty four applicants for those two roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then there was no internet to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there wasn't there wasn't adverts going worldwide. We get inundated with CVs and requests to look at their CV and go through and and you know, would you employ us kind of thing. To the point you just you just can't answer them all. Um, but we also advertise on various specific motorsports websites, and, and the input from that, the, the return in in um, applicants is is massive. So it's a it's a hard one to say, you know, this is what you want to do because the breadth of people that we're getting applying for jobs is is massive. A lot of a lot of our staff will come from other forms of motorsport and have experience of motorsport. Um, I, I didn't say my, my, my experience was cryogenics. It was completely, you couldn't get much more different. I don't think there's a set way. I don't think there really is a set way. To do it. <laughs> and, and, and has, has 3D printing ever won a race? Do you think in formula one? I think very hard now. 
<laughs> Certainly. I mean, <laughs> they're, 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 in itself, no. I mean, I, I can't think of any single application that would make that bigger, big an mm-hmm. event. But it's everything is about the whole team, not just mm-hmm. an individual component. An individual mm-hmm. person, you know, the 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 car, it's a it's a package. Mm-hmm. So the driver has to be on his game. The car has to be right and perfect and and not fail. The tires have to be good. You know, the fuel has to be right. Everything has to come together with mm-hmm. a certain amount of luck that no one takes you out in the first corner and the and and the ambient temperature is what you expect it to be and it doesn't rain and there's no there's no safety cars and there's no red flags. You know. Every, Everything has to be a million perfect, little things perfectly yeah. to, to 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 win a race unless you're that that one team that's really on the ball and been cracking it win after win after win to to break mm-hmm. that cycle to to be up front is is something where everything has to come together perfectly so so one individual component is I, I don't think ever going to really really do that unless the, the benefit from it is is deemed Immense, as massive. Yeah. But that tends to be, that tends to be more of a, if you've got such a big performance gain on that, it tends to be an assembly of things or a device rather than a single component. Mm-hmm. If totally. that makes sense. No, totally, totally, totally. Hey, Pat, thank you so much for your time. It was really, really great to hear about the uh, super secret and amazing world of Formula One for you. Always a pleasure. We yeah, try not to be that secretive. Some of our some of our competitors are, but we yeah. we pride ourselves on being one of the most open Formula One teams. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, and thank you for for being so open with us today. Um, and thank you, Max, for being here today as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. Good look into Formula One. And thank you as well for for listening. Uh, my name is Joris Peels, and this was another episode of the Three D Pod. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.